This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. Later in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater, because America's the greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. Only one more hour. What the heck? All right, we'll make it a good one. So uh, I want to play this clip here. This is Jorge Ramos from Univision on with uh, Tucker Carlson. So let's listen to it. We'll unpack it all weeks ago in February, you said this, and I wanted to ask you about it, and I'm quoting you. I'm a proud Latino immigrant here in the United States. You know exactly what is going on here in the U.S. There are many people who do not want us to be here and who want to create a wall in order to separate us. But you know what? This is also our country. Let me repeat Mm -hmm. this. Our country, not theirs. It's our country. Who's the us and who's the they? Whose country is it? Uh, This is our country. It is yours. It is mine. And it is ours. The interesting thing is that um, with the Trump administration and many people who support Donald Trump, they think it is their country, that it is a white country, and they are absolutely wrong. This is not a white country. This is not their country. It is, it is ours, and that's precisely what I'm saying. Look, in 2044, this country, the white population will become uh, a minority. It will be a minority-majority country. That's precisely what I'm saying. Latinos... Asians, African-Americans, whites, it is our country, Tucker. Right. Yeah. Well, let me just point out that you are white, obviously. You have blue, you have blue, you're whiter than I am. You've got blue eyes. So, I mean, I don't know exactly what you mean by white or Latino, but let me just ask you again to explain our country, not theirs. Who is they? Whose country is it not? Well, many people who want to go back to 1965 when there was um, a white majority. Many people who believe that Latinos and immigrants and refugees shouldn't be here. That's precisely what I was referring to. I, so it's not their the, country? Before the election, it doesn't belong to before, those people? What are you saying? Well, it's also, it's also their country, but it's not only their country. Right. We have okay. to understand that this is a multicultural, multiracial country, and, um, and we have to live and be tolerant. And that's exactly what I was right. referring well, to. I def- it is well, I our country. Agree with, I agree with that. Country. Now, I, would, I, you know, I don't want to bring this to race. You did, so I'm going to follow up on that. You have posited yourself as the leader of Latinos, and I'm not exactly sure what that word means. So Latinos seem to encompass, I don't know, German Guatemalans and Italian Argentines and Afro-Cubans and non-Spanish-speaking Peruvians and, I don't know, blue-eyed rich Mexicans like you. What do those groups have in common exactly? Well, what, what we have in common is that mostly that we come from a, a region in, in the world, Latin America, right. and there are many differences. Uh, many people call them Latinos, many people call them Hispanics. Uh, we tend to speak more Spanish at home, 
uh, than others. Uh, we have not only well, hundreds but Portuguese, thousands of obviously. mass media in our own language in, in contrast with what happened with uh, Italians or Europeans before us. So in other words, it's a, a kind of immigration that has a distinct characteristics that others didn't have before. But what is distinct, again, just to be totally clear, if, if I am a non-Spanish-speaking Brazilian, I speak Portuguese, yeah. I'm a non-Spanish-speaking Peruvian, I'm 100% German, but I live in Guatemala, and there are a lot of them there, as you know. There are also a lot of 100% Italian people in Argentina. There are a lot of African-American, uh, African-Latin American Cubans. What do they have in common? They, a lot of them don't like each other. They don't speak the same language. They have very different cultures. It, I don't no, understand no, why they're under it, one It's not really that complicated. It's, it's simply a, a matter of a country of origin, either for, for you or for your family. Again, most of us speak Spanish. Most of us come from Latin America. About half the Latino population, um, adult uh, Latino population, um, are immigrants. So that's what differentiates us from, from other groups. But mostly it has to do with the country of origin. That's okay. It. it still doesn't make any sense to me at all, but as a political matter, it makes a lot well, of sense it because is. it allows people like you to say, I represent everybody on an entire continent, when clearly that's not true. All right. Really, really good conversation there at the end. All right. So let's, let's talk about race here for a little bit. Race is not a biological concept or, or it applies to humans. Um, there's this really big misconception that race is some sort of scientific phenomenon. Uh, it is a social construct only. It is a social concept only. And it is now, as uh, Tucker alluded to at the end, it's a political concept. There is only one human race. And, and I don't mean that as some like kumbaya, let's sing around the campfire thing. I, I mean that scientifically, there is one human race. The DNA of any two human beings is 99.9% .9 identical. We all share the exact same set of genes. There is a single biological human race. Race differences, the differences in races in America or in the world today, it's a myth, a total myth, doesn't exist. Race is a myth. Racial differences are a myth. It's totally, completely made up. And I'm going to tell you where it came from here in just a second. But just for a little clarification, in chimpanzees, there are three different races. There are three different races of chimpanzees. There's only one race of human. That's it. I want to quote here. This is Guy Harrison. He's an atheist writer. He said, one day in the 1980s, I sat in the front row in my first undergraduate anthropology class eager to learn more about this bizarre and fascinating species that I was uh, born into. But I got more than I expected that day, as I heard for the first time that biological races are not real. After hearing several perfectly sensible reasons why vast biological categories don't work very well, I started to feel betrayed by my society. Why am I just hearing this now? Why didn't somebody tell me this in elementary school? I never should have made it through 12 years of schooling before entering university without ever hearing the important news that most anthropologists reject the concept of biological races. <laughs> what people mean to say probably is ethnicity. So ethnicity are different cultural factors that make up your life. So it's the, 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 where you live, your religion, languages you speak, whatever. And of course there are different ethnicities, uh, but there are no different races. 
Now, if you've never heard this before, it's going to take a while to let this, let this sit in because you're going to feel like that guy. You're going to feel lied to. You're going to be, feel betrayed by your entire society that has taught you that race is a thing. Why? Why did they tell you race is a thing? Because you, you can't have racism unless there are different races. Are you with me? Racism can only exist if people think there are different races. If we taught kids that there's one race, scientifically one race, because it's true, then they wouldn't be as inclined to separate people based on race because there is only one. Now, I got a ton to say here. Please stay with me because we got a ton to go over with this. You know what I'm saying is true. Everyone does. Because listen to this conversation again between Tucker and, and Jorge Ramos. Ramos is obsessed with race, right? Like, like Latino. So Hispanic just means people who come from a country that speaks Spanish. That's all that means. So Hispanic, I mean, if you're Spanish from Spain, or Cuba, you're Hispanic, right? It's, it's, that doesn't mean it. That's just language. But Latinos, right? Like the Latino race. But as Tucker rightfully highlights, even if you're a German Guatemalan or an Italian Argentinian or non-Spanish speaking Peruvian or white Jorge Ramos, you know, the last president of Mexico is Vicente Fox, right? You know the name Vicente Fox? His grandfather, Vincente Fox, former president of Mexico, his grandfather was born in Ohio to German Catholic immigrants. The, the family name is Fuchs, F-U-C-H-S. They changed it to Fox. <laughs> See how stupid this is? See how stupid this is? That's the president of Mexico, a white guy. He's a white guy. He's German. And he's talking about different races. Give me a break. We're all the same race. So why doesn't Jorge Ramos talk about different ethnicities? Because there's too many. There's too many ethnicities to group into one giant category, right? But when you use these terms like Hispanics, right? That, that's this huge group of people. And Latinos it encompasses this, a ton of people that the left can put into one group and manipulate accordingly. Right, And they can claim to speak on behalf of all Hispanics. But as Tucker's saying, what does a Cuban person have in common politically with someone from Argenti Argentina? Nothing. But they both speak Spanish? Who cares? Okay, fine. What about the Cuban with the Brazilian? They speak different languages. What do they have in common? They're all Hispanic. Or I guess they're not. They're all Latino. Like It's so stupid. Ethnically, they're different. Their cultures are different. Maybe religion's different. Whatever. But they're all the same race. Now, our point is when a Cuban or a Brazilian or an Argentinian or whatever immigrates to America, we want them to assimilate to the American culture. But this has nothing to do with race. I'm so sick of this garbage. There's nothing at all to do with race. Race doesn't even exist. Doesn't exist. I'm not, I just want to be clear. I'm not saying, uh, oh, you know, we should uh, ignore race or look past it or be colorblind. I'm telling you, there's no such thing. So where did it come from? I'll tell you next. It's a relatively new idea. It started in the 18th century. Really, think about this. Race 
as we know today, started in the 18th century. That's it. And, it, and, and it's a total scam. I'm going to tell you where race came from, and you're going to look at this and say, oh my gosh, how can we still have a, a social construct around this concept that is total garbage? Absolute total garbage. Well, it makes perfect sense. Again, you can't have racism if there aren't different races. So the people who are race baiters, they will always keep this lie alive that different races exist. But there's no such thing. All right, we'll tell you where this came from next. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline, a licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Later on the Blaze Radio Network. So race is a uh, a new concept, relatively new concept. So it was invented in the 18th century. Uh, there's nothing scientific about it, which is just kind of interesting because the progressives who who profit politically from the idea of race uh, also claim to be the people of science. There is nothing scientific or biological about race whatsoever. So the idea of race came out of uh, slavery in Africa. Now there was, we've talked about this a million times. There's plenty of slavery before the African slave trade, right? Since the beginning of time, there's been slavery. Uh, the first people to, inst- uh, for the, uh, English, the first people that the English enslaved in around the 13th century were the Irish. So the Irish worked on their plantations. Think about this. The slaves on the English plantations of Barbados and Jamaica were Irish and Indian. So imagine this, right? You have you have Jamaica full of black people. The English come in, take it over. Now they run the show. And the, the plantations are run by Irish people and Indians. So the black people are just living their life. The British people are running the show. And you got Irish and Indian slaves. What? I mean, this is so crazy for us to understand. But until around the 18th century, the image of Africans was a, a positive one. They were, they were great farmers. They were seen as great farmers and excelled in the arts and culture and warfare. Um, right? So, so it was like, oh, the Africans, they're thriving and it's great. But around the 17th, 18th century, there was a need for more slaves. So the British turned to the African people and basically made up this PR campaign 
that the Africans are backwards, lost souls, and it's the Christian duty of the white man to save them. Right. So then they because they came up with this this concept like we need to now enslave the Africans. So how can we do this? So they had this fake science started popping up about how Africans are inferior. They're the inferior race. Right. They had to make Africans other. They had to make them a separate race. No one ever looked at it this way before. There's no, <laughs> there were no such thing. There were different cultures, right? Like we talked earlier about the Persians and the Greeks, that like they hated each other, of course, right? But it wasn't because the Persians are a different race than we are. There was no concept of that. So this was all done to justify slavery. People had to come up with a racial hierarchy. This never existed before. Samuel Morton was one of the leading scientists on race. So early 1800s. What he did is he collected a bunch of skulls from people all around the world. This is such an important story because we have so much of our society is built up on the concept of different races. But once you know not only the, like, the ideology behind it, like why it was come up, but the science behind it, the pseudo-fake science behind it, you're like, what the heck are we doing? So he got a, a hundreds of skulls from American Indians, and he got 50 skulls from black people and 50 skulls from white people. And Sam Morton compared the size of the skulls found that the skulls from the white people were bigger, which means white people have bigger brains, which means white people are smarter and superior to all the other races. Done. That's it. <laughs> that makes sense. Do you see how stupid that is? See how stupid that is? What he did is he, he filled the skulls with mustard seed, right, which is the smallest of all the seeds, and then he, he filled the skull up and then poured it all out into a, a graduated cylinder to see which skull had the more volume. <laughs> That's it. Oh, it's okay. White people's skulls bigger, therefore bigger brains, therefore smarter. What the heck? Now, not only is that terribly not precise, but he never accounted for the difference in the size of the people, right? So the American Indians, Native Americans, who he whose skulls he measured, were generally just smaller people. Right? So the shorter you are, the smaller you are, the smaller your skull size is going to be. But that doesn't mean you're dumber. <laughs> it doesn't mean your brain's smaller, which means you're dumber. How stupid. Women have smaller skulls than men. But proportional to a woman's body size, women's brains are bigger than men's. But that has nothing to do with how intelligent you are or not. It's totally irrelevant. So why did they think that? Why did they think that brain size makes a difference how smart you are? The bigger the brain, the smarter you are. Because Western culture, bigger is better. Right? Bigger houses, bigger cars, bigger everything. Bigger brains, smarter. So there you go. Race. That's where race came from. White people have bigger brains because their skull's bigger than black people. Therefore, we're different races. See how stupid. So there you go. That's races. No scientific backing whatsoever. Not at all. Now, I got a minute here. Let's talk about the word Caucasian. So the skulls, there were other researchers that did this, did this too, not just Samuel Morton, but the skulls that researchers used for white people were from the uh, Caucasus Mountain region, like Eastern Europe-ish, right? The Caucasus Mountains. So if you, this is what they did. They lined up the skulls of different people, right? So there's a, a skull of a white person from the Caucasus mountain region there's a skull of a black person and an, and an asian person and a native american 
and they lined them up and they said, which skull is the most beautiful? I'm not even kidding. They said, which skull is the most beautiful of the skulls? And the scientist said, oh, it's obvious. It's obvious. This is the skull of the, the white man. I'm not kidding. So that's why we're called Caucasian. That's why white people are called Caucasian. Because the skulls that they used in this stupid study, it's not even a study, are from the Caucasus Mountain region. Like White people aren't from the Caucasus Mountain region. These skulls were from people in the Caucasus Mountain region. So this was all before genetics. So now we know there's no such thing as different races. There's just one human race. So it's a social construct. It's a political construct. And the people who profit off of it are sick. And they profit off of it. Not only that, but they profit off of this science. Science, right? They profit off this. They, they're, they're the perpetrators. The perpetrators. Per, what's not the, that's not the right word. They're the, they're the people who continue. There's a P word there. Anyway, they're the people who continue that same science. The, the conclusion from these fake scientists 200 years ago is being continued by the Jesse Jacksons of today. You would think that they would go to reject this science. Science. It's not real science. I hope you can see my air quotes. That you think they would be rejecting this and saying, well, people, there's no such thing as racist. But no, they need there to be different races so that then they can profit off of racism or fighting racism. But they don't really want to solve it at all. Amazing, amazing, amazing. 1-888-900-3393. Please spread that word. There's no scientific difference in human races. Doesn't exist. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. share a story here so you know we talk on the show a lot about the uh city versus country divide that's the that's the cultural divide in our country and we've read from um uh, it was last week or two weeks ago we talked about uh, vegetius he was a roman writer around the 400 or so and he said when you make an army uh well, this is what he said he said quote from the country the main strength of the army should be supplied they're nurtured under the open sky in a life of work enduring the sun Careless of shade, unacquainted with bathhouses. I love that one. That's my favorite part. They've never even been to the spa. Ignorant of luxury. Simple souls, content with a little, with limbs toughened to endure every kind of toil, and for whom digging a ditch and carrying a burden is what they are used to. Right, so you're 400. That's a, 1,600 years ago, they say, oh, yeah, country. You need, you need people from the country. And still today, most of our military is people from the country um so i came across a story the other day this is written by william mcdougall he was a psychologist in the uh, early 1900s he was one of the first to write about instinct but he, he wrote about um borneo so borneo is the third largest island in the world and i'm not going to pretend like i i would have known where that was until i looked it up <laughs> i'm not, not proud of that if you said if you told me Borneo, I'd be like uh, Africa. Like I have no no clue. 
So it's third largest island in the world. It's tucked right there with the Philippines and Indonesia, kind of in that neck of the woods. He said, if you travel up any of the, the, the rivers in Borneo, you're going to meet tribes on the coast. And then, you know, as you go deeper, like another mile in, you're going to meet another tribe. And then another mile, you're going to have another tribe. And you're going to keep going inland and you're going to get more and more tribes. And he says the tribes are more warlike the deeper inland you go, right? So the coastal tribes are very peaceful and they never fight except for self-defense and then they almost never win. But the deeper you go, ooh, it's game on. More dangerous and more dangerous. So just sit on that fact for a second. So in our society today, which tribe do you think most people would join? Based on today's American culture, which which tribe? Let's just pick let's pick two. Let's pick the one on the coast and then one ten miles inland up the river. Very warlike. Which which coast which tribe do you think people would pick? I think most people would take the coastal tribe. More peaceful. Probably means they're nicer. Friendlier. Better people. Right? Oh, they're not like those backwards inland hicks. I think most Democrats would want to be on that tribe. Sounds safer and nicer. So here's McDougal. He says, though it be supposed that the peaceful coast people would be found to be superior in moral qualities to their more warlike neighbors, the contrary is the case. Right. So, so he's like, listen, you would think that the people on the coast would, would have higher morals because the people inland are so warlike. So you'd think the people on the coast are better people. But he says, no, it's the opposite. He says, in almost all respects, the advantage lies with the warlike tribes. Their houses are better built, larger, and cleaner. Their domestic morality is superior. They're better husbands and wives, better parents. They're physically stronger and braver, and physically and mentally more active, and in general, more trustworthy. But above all, their social organization is firmer and more efficient because their respect for and obedience to their chiefs and their loyalty to their community are much greater. Each man identifies himself with the whole community and accepts and loyally performs the social duties laid upon him. That's interesting, right? So the, it's the people in this Borneo, or Borneo tribe, it's the people inland. Yeah, they're more warlike, but they have stronger morals in, in every way. Better husbands, wives, parents. They're more brave, more trustworthy, more loyal, more respect for each other. That's incredible. Than, than, than the people on the coast. Isn't it crazy that today in America, what's the divide? It's the coast. It's the coast versus inland. Where are all the Democrats? Democrats are all on the coast. Look at the coastal maps, right? It's all blue on the coast. But inland, that's where the conservatives are. That's more red. That's also, to go back to Vigetius, that's where most of our military comes from. People who, from, who are from that part of the country. I mean, we're, we're the opposite sides of the planet. And this is still true. American culture today and Bor Borneo culture 100 years ago 
Coast versus inland. City versus country. Why, why, why? What's the difference? There's a lot. But I came across a meme the other day, uh, which I like. It says, hard is four panels. The top panel is hard times create strong men. And it was a picture of the men of Iwo Jima raising the flag. Right? Hard times create strong men. World War II vets. And then strong men create good times. And I had a picture of these World War II vets coming back home, working hard, all the rest. Then it starts to flip. Well, then it's, well, good times create weak men. And it shows protesters whining about whatever, being entitled and all that. And then weak men create hard times. And then it goes back around. Hard times create strong men. So the question is, where are we right now? Uh, I think we're somewhere between good times create weak men, right? Because we definitely live in way, way too much prosperity. Good times create weak men. And then, you know, weak men create hard times. Like we're somewhere there. But it's a cycle that keeps going all the way around. So to go back to the, the tribe in Borneo, the, the men inside, inland, the tribes inland, hard times. Not even just warlike, but everything, you know, it's harder. Like life's harder inland. That creates strong men. Not more violent men. More morally strong men. The, the more parents I talk to, especially those raising sons like I am, the biggest fear they have, and I'm not kidding, the biggest fear they have is that uh, times are too good. Things are too good. They make too much money. Too many creature comforts. Things are too easy for them. Or they're afraid things are going to be too easy for their kids. So the question is, how do we raise kids in our culture today? Which, good times because of strong men. Right? But we're riding their coattails. So how do we raise kids to be stronger, braver, more trustworthy, more moral, loyal people like the Bornean tribes. It's harder to do that in good times than bad. So I, I, I don't I take whatever you want from it, but I just think it's wildly interesting that if you look at America today, I think you would say very similar things, right? You compare people on the coast to someone in Kentucky, very different. And it's the same thing in uh, Borneo 100 years ago. Compare someone on the coast with inland, and they're very different in very similar ways. Wow, that's crazy. one 93 Mike Slater, so the blaze. Radio Network, spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater is on. So on that point about uh, how to raise kids in a prosperous society, I'm reading a book about John D. Rockefeller. So he grew up second of six 
his dad was a bigamist. He had a, he had a different family in another town. That crazy and total con man. He would he would go town to town selling magical elixirs to cure cancer. Um, so a total con artist, and he was almost never home. So it was John D. That's what they call him, John D. John D.'s uh, mom taught him to be thrifty and save money, but he had a very uh, low middle class upbringing. It wasn't you know, totally poverty stricken, but um, certainly not what I mean, it was by today's standards. But nothing uh, nothing right home about. So fast forward a few years, you got Standard Oil taking off. He's pretty rich. So John D. has four kids. Um, so what did he do? First, he never it's like how did he how did he keep his kids? How do you keep their heads on straight? So he never had his kids come to his office or refineries growing up. And at home, he created a make-believe economy. So they, the kids would get two cents for killing flies and five cents for sharpening pencils and two cents for not eating candy every day. And uh, every 10 weeds you pull, you get a penny, stuff like that. So he taught them the connection between work and money. Because if he didn't do that, then they would just have all the money and they wouldn't get that you have to actually work for it. And his wife was the same. They, they, they both were in on this. So John D, he wanted to buy his kids bicycles one day. And his wife said, uh, okay, but only one. And John D Rockefeller was like, whoa, 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 I mean, we can, I mean, they're not that expensive. We can definitely buy four. And uh, he's like, no, 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 we need one so that they'll learn how to share. So John D Rockefeller actually raised his kids to live a life of material comfort about the same as he did. His daughters wore hand-me-down dresses. So I just think that's super interesting. Like he got it. He understood. Now I'm going to be fair. I'm only in the part of the book where like right now he's starting to super take off and move to New York. And it's like, but he was, he was definitely multimillionaire uh, at the time he was raising his younger kids. So maybe things changed as he got older. I don't know yet, but at least that's part of the story. He understood the, the importance of making sure his kids had uh, their head on. Right. And it's interesting because, you know, everyone thinks that if they have more money, all their problems are going to be solved. Right. Life's going to be better. My kids' lives are going to be better. Mm, maybe. But in some ways, maybe not. Because I know there's a lot of wealthy parents who wish their kids didn't have the problems that can come from that life. I got a couple of minutes here. I read a, uh, a funny blog post from uh, Nassim Taleb. His thesis, thesis is that when people get rich, they lose control of their own preferences. It's pretty cool, right? So like a pretty interesting thought. So rich people actually stop doing what they want to do and start doing things that they feel pressured to do. And he says he went to a, a dinner at a Michelin starred restaurant with someone. Uh, and he really wanted to go to this Greek place down the street. That's like, you know, $8 or whatever, but they had to go to this Michelin restaurant that was $200. Uh, and he said, this is what he wrote. He said, dinner consisted of a succession of complicated small things <laughs> with microscopic ingredients and contrasting tastes that forced you to concentrate as if you were taking some type of exam. You were not eating, rather visiting some type of museum with an affected English major lecturing you on some artistic dimension that you would have never considered on your own. Once something on the occasion tasted like something real, there was no chance to have more as we moved on to the next dish. Trudging through the dishes and listening to some blank by the sommelier about the paired wine, I was afraid of losing concentration. It cost a lot of energy to fake that I was not bored. 
In fact, I discovered an optimization in the wrong place. The only thing I cared about, bread, was not warm. It appears that this is not a Michelin requirement. <laughs> so why do we have places like this? Right? These, these, have you ever been to one of those restaurants? It's like five-star restaurants, like super, super, super nice. Um, I have. It was a total joke. So I went to one in Mexico. We stayed at an all-inclusive place, right? So the food was good. But then they had a restaurant there that you had to pay for, but it was like a Michelin restaurant. And uh, it wasn't too expensive, but we got slammed on water. They charged us. I'm not even kidding. It was like 80 bucks for water. Because we got like two bottled waters. It's like, what? What the heck is this? I freaked out on it. Um, so why do we have places like this? Because some people can. And those people do it not because it's good, but because you can. So his theory is that he would much rather have a $5 pizza than a $200 dinner. He calls it a French complicated experience. <laughs> Right? He'd rather have the $5 pizza. But the, the snotty rich person, if the French dinner was $5 and the pizza was $200, he thinks they'd choose the pizza. Because it's not about the food. It's about the exclusivity of it. Right, It's about can, can I do it while other people can't? Good. That means it's of higher value, like social value. So I'm going to choose the more expensive thing. Not because it's better, but simply because it's more expensive. And he says it's the same with houses too, right? People are happier living in smaller homes closer to each other, more of a community feel and all that. But when you get a lot of money, there's this pressure to live in a giant impersonal mansion where your neighbors are nowhere to be seen. And then you get super rich and then you need a staff. And then it's like you're running a corporation and it's not a home. It's like an office building or something, right? It's like devoid of human warmth in it. It's like, what are we doing? Like, so Rockefeller, he lived on, a, it's called Millionaire's Row. So he had, it was a big house, but it was the smallest of all of them. And he never lived in a super big house because he didn't, he didn't want to flaunt his wealth. He didn't, he didn't want, and it was kind of like, it wasn't like, oh, I don't, I'm a good person. I don't want to flaunt it. It was more, I don't want people really to know how much money I'm making. So I'm just not going to buy the biggest house I can possibly buy. He was actually, he was in Cleveland and uh, someone said, hey, who lives in that giant house? And he's like, oh, that's the guy who makes the barrels for my oil. Wow, he does live in a big house. He went back, looked at how much profit the guy, the barrel maker guy was getting, canceled all of his contracts and hired someone else. <laughs> so that's why Rockefeller always kept a low profile. He never wanted to show off his wealth. Interesting. All right, Slider Crusaders. Appreciate you being here. We'll see you next Saturday. We'll do it again. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.